Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And today I would like to begin by thanking fellow saloners Travis F. and Marco R., who uh, joins us, by the way, each week from the Netherlands, and uh, both of whom have sent us some of their hard-earned cash to help offset the expenses here in the salon. And uh, Marco, I too hope that we meet at Burning Man one day. Uh, However, I have to let you know that I'm not going to be able to make it this year, and uh, actually I hadn't thought of it until just now, but uh, I may skip next year too in order to uh, save up and not miss the 2012 Burning Man Festival. Now, uh, that's a freak show that I not only don't want to miss, it's one that I want to be a part of. (laughs) So, uh, Travis and Marco, by the way, you've uh, joined me as virtual host today for what to me is the most exciting podcast that I've done so far. I have to tell you that as a somewhat geeky historical junkie of psychedelic culture, this recording is the top of the mountain for me. Of course, had I heard it just 10 years ago, uh, before I really had a good grasp of who these people were and what a profound effect they have had on all of us, well, uh, it may have not seemed so earth-shaking for me. But uh, to be able to listen in on what was essentially a private conversation between several of the key figures of the newly re-emerging psychedelic culture as they uh, tried to come to a better understanding of where their work was leading and then to uh, hear them comment on what we now look back on as the beginning of the 60s, but with their uh, comments coming right as those events were taking place, well, for me, that's the uh, single highest peak experience I've yet had here in podcasting land. Now, this recording uh, begins with them picking up on what was obviously an earlier conversation, but my guess is that at some point Myron must have uh, convinced them that it would be a good idea to record their conversation. The two people you'll hear the most from here are Myron Stoloroff and Humphrey Osman. However, for what was a first time for me to hear his voice, uh, another contributor to the talk that day was none other than Al Hubbard. Also, there's uh, one brief comment by a person that Myron calls Bill. And uh, to be sure that my guess was correct, I contacted Jim Fadiman, who was uh, also on the staff of the Institute where this recording was made, and he said that he was sure that that person was Willis Harmon. Now, uh, I have a piece of stationery from the Institute that Myron gave me, and uh, all four of them are listed as directors. However, as you will soon hear, this wasn't your normal board meeting. So now think back to where you were on November 1st, 1964. For the majority of our fellow saloners, that means thinking about some past life because uh, <laughs> they weren't even born yet. Uh, at the time, I was in my first semester of law school at the University of Houston, uh, just working like crazy in order to become a full-fledged member of the establishment. Fortunately, uh, I found the tribe before going completely astray, and uh, so here we are today. But back in 1964, uh, these four guys, while seeming to be deeply embedded in the establishment, were actually as far removed from mainstream thinking as was possible at the time. In other words, uh, they were what I call psychedelic thinkers, which, of course, isn't all that surprising (laughs) when you uh, remember that it was actually Humphrey Osmond himself who first coined the word psychedelic in a letter to Aldous Huxley. And now we get to hear uh, directly from the great Dr. Humphrey Osman as he talks with our friend and frequent guest here in the salon, Myron Stoloroff. 
And it may be well to also keep in mind that while we are used to seeing images of a very old Humphrey Osmond, at the time this recording was made, he was only 47 years old and Myron was just 44. And uh, the two of them, as I said, were among the top LSD researchers to be found anywhere at the time. So what we're going to get to hear is uh, what these early pioneers in the field were just beginning to figure out about psychedelic voyaging as they inched ahead with their work. And I hope you aren't put off in the beginning by their comparing our human trajectories through life in terms of a ballistic missile. Just uh, keep in mind that the so-called Cuban Missile Crisis wasn't uh, all that far behind us at the time, and uh, kids were still doing duck-and-cover drills in some schools. You know, it was uh, the rare child at the time who didn't have nightmares of nuclear war coming in the form of a missile strike. But enough of my chatter. Uh, now here's Myron Stoloroff and Humphrey Osmond, who, at about the halfway point, will be joined by the legendary Johnny Appleseed of LSD, Al Hubbard himself. Let's do that. So now we're on the air. I think we'll all have to speak up rather loudly because uh, this microphone pickup in order to get us all is not too good. Mm-hmm. But uh, So uh, as I see where we left off, uh, you were pointing out the... Uh, uh, well, you were, you were pointing out the fact that we have a guidance system, mm-hmm. but that missiles vary, and mm-hmm. that we need to perfect a guidance system for various kinds of missiles. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing I'd like to explore more with you, because there are some things, I think, about our guidance system that are pretty good, mm-hmm. and that what we need to do is refine it for specific missiles. But my own feeling is that basically uh, the, guidance, the, the guidance system is quite sound. Mm-hmm. And in fact, maybe it pays to pause for a moment to go into that, uh, uh, because as I see it, and, and maybe I've oversimplified the mm-hmm. thing, but I, I, I tend to look at things in oversimplified ways, perhaps. Well, sure. But uh, as I see it, you can conceptualize it on the basis that it's kind of convenient in my thinking to conceptualize it on a spatial basis, although mm-hmm. it may have nothing to do with space whatsoever, mm-hmm. that Somewhere in space and time is a central power source, mm-hmm. and, and here here's the source. And the guidance system simply involves getting the person as close as possible to that source. Mm-hmm. And the closer he gets, uh, the more aware he is, the more he sees who he is, the more he sees that everything he does is really of his own making and his own creation. And the more he sees his total responsibility. Now, it's inconceivable to me that you can move toward that source without increasing responsibility. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, Larry has found a way of getting, of moving in that direction, but not going toward it because he's obviously missed this responsibility level. But I do feel that the guidance system that Al has set up for us, and which we use, although we don't even know consciously what we're doing, but we just have intuitively feel mm-hmm. what we're doing, is that somehow through uh, a phrase that Al has often used that I like and, and that I feel it subjectively, mm-hmm. although I'm not sure what I'm doing, he says you hold reality steady, mm-hmm. but somehow or other you do create a field which gives a person freedom and, and, and yet at the same time it's not just freedom because somehow I think he's impelled toward that source. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure just how this works. 
but somehow through this system, the person moves closer and closer to that so that uh, his awareness and understanding raises. And it seems to me that this part of the system works with anybody, whether he's sick, regardless of what kind of a, a missile he is. The problem is that uh, a lot of people don't want to move in that direction or are going to perceive in their own framework or have particular problems and hang-ups and that where we have to become very sensitive and understanding and be able to understand other people's worlds is that in these situations we can be of more assistance to these particular people in understanding their world and what they really want to do and what they don't want to do so as to assist them in accomplishing what they want. And uh, at the same time, in a way, sort of steering them out of areas of difficulty, such as psychosis, mm -hmm. or such as this kind of uh, nirvanic state where people sit around and, and, and drink some of the rest of their lives mm -hmm. <laughs> without ever doing much more. So that, that's my mm -hmm. concept of the guidance system we're employing in, in very general terms. Well, as I see the guidance system, there's certain bits of it. One is that the at the moment to accept within a fairly rough and ready way the nature of the missile is quite unspecified. The nature of the propellant is quite a, a good deal better than it was. It's much more controlled. But however... Obviously, the best way to get the person towards reality would be to shoot them up and leave them up. But we're left with the with the real problem of bringing them back to base. Now, the the great this is in a sense the actual effects of the the, the goal of the enterprise is not in fact, to get them up there, but to get them up and bring them back, which is two quite different things, and then for them to for. The, the people concerned to use the experience to benefit in some way or other something that's happening back at base. Very definitely. Now, this, if, when you leave this bit out of the thing, you see, it's, yeah, this is the, the, the proposition that, in fact, uh, uh, because, to some extent, because of our the way in which we started on this, we, with many of the, uh, particularly our early alcoholics, their base was in such bad shape that to get back at all, they were exceptionally grateful, and any improvements they could make uh, <laughs> uh, 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 on this basis were seen as absolute improvements, and they were much rejoiced. And the difference between, uh, for those who had still had some wives left, and there were not so many other those who did, their wives were often quite rejoiced, because this was indeed a happy event uh, but when you begin to deal with um, people who are not absolutely on their uppers then you begin to run into things that you may not in fact get them back to base indeed the very fact that you have been uh, started off on the assumption that if you don't do something about these people they'll probably be dead in a year or two uh, allows you to uh, be extraordinarily happy with uh, with any change, and it's nearly always for the better. So here you end up with, with this is a very substantial advantage. But when you begin to bring uh, uh, people back who they are with a much more refined operation, then you want to be able to do two things. The first is you want to be 
sure that in fact in coming back to base that this information is indeed transmitted in a meaningful way to those who ought to have access to it and these have to be worked out who these ought to be and then of course that good use is made of this and that it seems to me uh, 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 is going to be quite difficult to do until we know what the missiles actually like and what their base is actually like because we may be more than happy at, at their return, but suppose we just don't fit them in properly, and they have, in fact, as a result of this, uh, incorporated in them a lot of fresh information. We uh, need to be able to predict what this will happen on the effect of the relationships of the people yeah. concerned. Well, this is very, very true, and of course we need this, we need to know more about all the time. At the same time, in the last few years, We've been learning a great deal about mm -hmm. this. Uh, just as an example, uh, when we started off, if we found somebody wanted to go through the clinic and take LSD very badly, uh, and he had a marital problem, well, we would treat this person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, uh, after a few of these cases, the antenna went up all over the place, and now a person comes in with a marital problem, we won't treat him at all. We mm -hmm. want to see the spouse. We want to know how mm -hmm. the spouse feels. Uh, we prefer to treat them both. And we will actually refuse, we did refuse to treat the one unless we felt that the spouse would provide an accepting and understanding uh, atmosphere for the person mm -hmm. to come back to. So, uh, of course, a lot of this you learn by experience. You find Same people, here. you find people come back and, and some people regress. And uh, why do they regress? And we, we've learned about these things and we've, uh, we've learned, for example, uh, that for a minister to take LSD and then give a sermon to his congregation mm -hmm. <laughs> is just a, a pure, uh, uh, well, it's just asinine, and mm -hmm. we've had we've had a minister to do it. Now, uh, whenever ministers are inclined to to preach to their uh, to their uh, congregations, well, we we apply a lot of cold water and, mm -hmm. and spend a lot of time. You know, getting them to understand that although he now feels great and has had this marvelous awakening, and some of the things he's been talking about are really true, yes. uh, his congregation may not be so convinced, and they may need to be uh, shown this uh, a lot more slowly and mm -hmm. delicately. So, of course, uh, all I'm saying is, is really... Uh, to kind of assess where we are at this. Mm -hmm. I think we've learned a great deal about this. I think, in fact, our focus here, one of the focuses mm -hmm. that's made us successful is the fact that we've had this basic attitude that the experience per se doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. It's what, what are you going to do with mm -hmm. it? And getting more and more understanding of what the person is doing and his relationships uh, and how he's utilizing the information that he's obtained. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're gradually learning. I think in the last two or three years, we've learned a great deal about this. Mm -hmm. uh, on the other hand, as you saw yesterday, we still have a great deal to learn. But uh, I would say this. My feeling is, Humphrey, that uh, with the more responsible people, the more mature people, you really need to do less in helping them integrate the experience than with some of the disturbed ones or with those who are in difficult environmental situations. Mm -hmm. uh, the ones who are in difficult environmental situations really need help because 
for instance, if the uh, if the family is opposed or there's some family problem and the environment that they have to deal with is mm -hmm. tough, they need support, mm -hmm. they need to uh, be helped understand. But the more mature ones seem to become sort of self-actualizing and self-generating mm -hmm. and pretty much take care of themselves. And, and those who've had good experiences, we've seen from our crowd, I think very little, very, very few people get off the beam the way I would consider Larry and Alpert are mm -hmm. off the beam, for example. Uh, how, what's your feeling about this, Bill? I think that's right. Mm -hmm. and, and that's why I think, uh, you, I think you encounter this enthusiasm in us, is that mm. we feel that uh, somehow, I, as I say, I'm not sure what we're doing, but we have a confidence that these people are contacting something that uh, is a source of wisdom and understanding for them that seems to allow them to, mm -hmm. to become more individualistic, more realistic, and, and to actually function more satisfactorily on their own mm -hmm. and to need less help. And, mm -hmm. and the less pathology is present, the more this seems to be true. Oh, I think this is certainly true. But I think that never in spite of that, however, if you wish to get communication between the, 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 these people who have less pathology, then it is still extremely important to realize that they are starting from very different positions. And well, that now you bring up a very significant point because we have... See, our approach up to now has been to sort of let people become exposed, mm -hmm. gather information which is very beneficial and rewarding to them individually, mm -hmm. and do with it as they please. Mm -hmm. But we've made no attempt, or mm -hmm. very little attempt, except among ourselves, to try to gather this information mm -hmm and uh, e examine it and explore it and, and try and develop some kind of comprehensive or integrated mm -hmm. view. This we've really done very little mm -hmm. about. Because, you see, it is uh, in uh, to make a group who can really use it. Remember, what I have in mind is this, is that you would start not... Or you might start initially by simply getting the person used to the substances. This is quite important so that they discover that uh, uh, you can as it were, be shot up into the stratosphere and that, the, that from that particular position uh, 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 there are many expected or unexpected differences which have been now recorded in great detail. However, from the point of view of the of usefulness or demonstrable usefulness, there are several things might happen. You might, for instance, get, uh, say, 100,000 people, all of whom shot up in this direction and start a new religion on the basis of this. Well, the, our experience with religion so far has been that uh, the, uh, the most likely effect would be that an elite would then be formed who would then start off on the, on the same old game and we'd end up by a kind of competition to discover who'd seen God most closely. And this might end up with even worse religion than the previous ones, in which case, in most of which, most of the people were really at least aware that they hadn't seen much, which was perhaps no, all. No, uh, my experience with LSD is that if you're going to keep using it, uh, and there's any degree of honesty, you know, this gets very uncomfortable when you try to uh, when you try to uh, get uh, structures like that going, because 
you become very aware of what you're doing. Sometimes it hits very painfully. Well, indeed, yes. But nevertheless, uh, with a uh, hundred thousand people or very large numbers of people, this would tend, on the whole, to, uh, to be got down into some kind of ritual, which all would accept. And very soon, some rules and regulations would grow up. And I think it would fairly soon become an orthodoxy. It's done so with Timothy. Actually, so we don't. Yes, we don't have any indication that Larry and Alpert feel uncomfortable <laughs> with no. their operations under LSD. Well, no. I was aware of that. They don't, I'm sure. They don't. Well, this it is possible to focus in such a way that you don't see these things. That's why I said with with a degree of honesty, but, but they maybe the honesty... I don't think it's their honesty that's at fault. It's, it's their perceptual taste. And setting oneself up as a, a, a near shame mystic religion in, in the United States in uh, this time uh, as, a, uh, as a tactic... Uh, is uh, uh, is a matter. This is a matter of taste as to whether you think this is the, the way to do it at this time and this place. So here, then, uh, uh, you you see that this. Uh, but when you get down to the to manifesting the values of these things in everyday life, it is much much tougher. I mean, it's, it's quite easy to fly up an aeroplane over the Rockies and see the interesting configuration in the land. Walking across them is rather tough. So, uh, and yet, the, the knowledge of their general configuration is very useful to the walker and may make him walk more sensibly and carefully and uh, pay attention to the terrain. So, uh, here then, uh, uh, when you get down to the techniques of walking in this case, and particularly with a small group of people each who have different things to do in it, uh, uh, this, in in a way, is much more difficult. You have to know uh, the length of each person's legs and how long they can walk each day and uh, uh, well, how they feel the changes in, in the barometer and whether they can swim and all these kinds of things are necessary to know. Now, the great difficulty about having flown over the Rockies is that unless you take this into account, you'll say, well, that's the path and that's the way we go. It isn't exactly that way at all. When you're on the ground, it's quite different. And on the ground, quarrels may develop in the journey because although all may agree from 20,000 foot when they're sitting there, as it were, taking cocktails on the journey, when they actually allow and fall over the edge of a precipice, the, the, the degree of agreement may get rather less. Who should fall first? You know? and, uh, and in fact, these sort of things actually happen. And therefore, if you suppose that each person from his view over the Rockies, which will have a lot in common, is going to experience the journey on the earth as it were, on just walking through them the same way, you have a very good reason to think they won't. The, the, the geologist will see it in one term, and he will wish to be uh, uh, frigging around, picking up fossils and things like this. The botanist would see it in another. The person who just liked walking would see it in another. The mountain climber in another. The mountain climber might endanger everyone's life, simply because he likes going up uh, a, a, a funnel and finds this, uh, this good sport. So uh, uh, the, the, this knowledge at this level is of absolutely vital importance. It's of much more importance, actually, than it is at that level, which would paradoxically not necessarily seem to be so. And not only that, the effect of the knowledge got from this level on this level is going to be much, much less 
the the poorer the communication at this level. And not only that, the communication at this level may, may can easily uh, uh, be enhanced rather than en- enhanced by this global view which people share because after a time people get very irritated with each other. They say, after all, if he knows what I know, why doesn't he do what I'd like him to do? And this leads to... Uh, 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 if not extreme irritation, it leads to some irritation. And it prevents the use of uh, um, these substances in a way which will in fact not simply allow us to become aware of what any decent uh, uh, mystical saint has been aware of for a long, long time, but to become aware of how to produce a rise in the social level of communication which will indeed uh, transform the species from a commun- from a biological animal to a communicating animal which is what Teilhard had in view these are the uh, uh, instrument I wrote sometime like these things are the these are the uh, the minecraft of the nose sphere but the nose sphere the, 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 the sphere of feeling and meaning and uh, uh, thinking as applied to action, this has to be created in the same way that the world in which we live was in one way created by uh, geographers, explorers and others. It is not for free and it is not uh, to uh, to be created by mugging up bits of the, of the Book of the Dead and sa- saying how smart chaps were. This is a fraud. It is not to be created by uh, saying, oh well, this poor kid from Harvard just did himself in because he really wanted to go somewhere else. Well, obviously, well, this is perfectly clear, and uh, so obviously the way to do this is to see if a few of us, as are gathered here, Mm -hmm. can do this ourselves, then if we can do this ourselves, then we should be able to extend this on to others. No, as we do it ourselves, the people involved have got to have a growing system of rules so that we can know which ones seem to work, and we can know the range of the uh, uh, experiences involved. You see, in setting up groups of this sort, you've got to know how much trust you've got to have at the beginning for how much move. You see, I've got to know and Al has to know, uh, and I have to know you and to know that I can trust you before I'm likely to give even a jocular discussion, which wasn't jocular at all, of one of the ways of dealing with a particular kind of problem that has arisen in our work, and that is by removing a particular person. And unless you feel and understand the differences of Al and my viewpoints on this, and yet the the possible synthesis, and why that would be possible, then the the, the group will not communicate, for the very good reason that you will think this is a joke. Now, if this is not a joke... uh, It's a pretty grim joke, Humphrey. (laughs) Well, it is a kind... People have uh, uh, had men murdered in jest before now. And it is a kind of joke. Your, the book of your friend Frederick Hohenstaufen out there, he did this quite often. You know his book on Hawking. Oh. I mean, Frederick Hohenstaufen, you've seen with his cold blue eyes, have you? 
in your book, I'm sure, in your in the room where I was sleeping. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Frederick Hohenstaufen quite regularly did this. He did an experiment by which babies were brought up with, uh, uh, who were not mothered at all, and all of them died. Uh, uh, he had uh, 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 <coughs> two men threatened with execution in order to see what their bowel movements would be like. And he really was a truly scientific man in many ways ahead of his time. But the important point about it is that these things actually happen. And they actually happen now as any other time. And when they happen, the kind of transaction that occurs between Al and me develops. Because people like Al and me are certain types of creatures who are around who see the world differently. But when we agree on certain things, we produce a kind of synthesis in action. And it's terribly important to understand for, and for the group to understand when you get a larger group, a synthesis of four people, that this is the kind of thing that we're looking for. This is the kind of thing where you quadruple the effectiveness of the people, but you have also got to quadruple their ethical nicety. Because if you don't, you're going to produce an abomination. This thing is like... Uh, Atom fusion, if you hold the thing right, it will be extremely beneficial. If you hold it wrong, (coughs) it'll be hell. So you don't try these (coughs) experiments until you know them very well. And as Al said, that the the first two that we did shook us up both greatly because they required a great deal of digestion. You see, Al's formulation of this uh, which is a very good one for some purposes and has been very useful to many people and very useful for, particularly to, to alcoholics and to a number of neurotic people is the formulation is that we are really all part of a whole and therefore uh, 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 the, the, uh, the behavior that you undertake now uh, can be reorganized in, t- in terms of the larger whole. It's an extremely good formulation in those terms and it's been empirically very useful. Now what I'm saying is, however, that for what we are going to have to try and do to produce this into a social instrument, we cannot use that same formulation all the time. Well, one formulation, which we've had just a bare bit of experience with, is you take a group of people, Mm -hmm. and uh, as you say, you don't know how far you can go, you don't know, you have to establish the level of trust and so on, Now, one of the things you do is to start off with very low dosage, Mm -hmm. which is what we did, Mm -hmm. where nobody, not enough, where anybody is really threatened, and and yet it does allow you to communicate quite a bit on certain levels Uh and get to know each other, Mm -hmm. and you gradually build up. Now, we experimented with a group, and actually it was a very large group, and turned out to be completely unwieldy, and and we abandoned the thing, and yet we learned a great deal from it. Uh But we did prove that these experiences for the group with very low doses were were extremely uh, integrative. Uh, We did establish communication, Mm -hmm. and in some individuals produced significant growth. Uh, we did it again with more dosage, and it was a continuously uh, improving thing. Now, if we continued, what we would do, we got to know the people well enough and know ourselves well enough that if we were to continue that same experiment, we would choose out of this group maybe four or five individuals yes. 
whom now we know we could probably take a hundred gamma together mm-hmm. and, and go further. Mm-hmm. So that that is one of the approaches to the thing. Now you're talking about uh, procedural approaches and uh, conceptual formulations mm-hmm. sort of side by side. Mm-hmm. They're somewhat different. Now, well, I felt that, well, well, I thought it was really the same thing because this is really, it seemed to me what Humphrey's talking about is how do you establish the rules? How do you discover the bond of trust uh, which will allow you to know how far you can go? Now, see, the thing that impressed me tremendously about Humphrey yesterday is he was very keenly perceptive of just how far he could go in any situation. And uh, I think each of us have learned something about this mm-hmm. in our individual work with patients after your intuitive knowledge uh, grows as you learn more of yourself and learn more of other people's worlds. You get a kind of a sense of what you can confront a person with mm-hmm. and what you can't. But these are the kinds of things that in a group you, you need to, to learn of each other. And uh, so that the more you can accept each other, uh, then the more unified the thing becomes and the more you can work as, as a whole. But you see, at the same time, as you do that, uh, uh, the group also has to explore the bits that can, that cannot be shared or cannot at the moment be shared so that you get a wider, uh, whereas you also get a sort of deeper understanding, you also get a wider understanding because the, the, the extent to which people actually uh, do overlap is, extra, is very little known. And we know that there are people who, who must overlap to a great extent these identical twins at one end. And we know there are people who uh, are temperamentally, uh, uh, physically and culturally extremely far apart and seem uh, maybe they only overlap a tiny bit like this. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you want to know some of the things to look out for because it would seem at least wise to start with <laughs> with groups which will be relatively easy to cope with. Because uh, I certainly found with my, my great, uh, when I made this considerable blunder, that uh, from which I learned a lot, but that, 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 that uh, here, uh, I thought it would be an extremely good idea to have an extremely uh, a group loaded with extremely intelligent people with extremely intelligent uh, backgrounds. But in fact, this was far from being a good idea at that time because um, this is like starting off uh, uh, putting in your old aeroplane oil kite, a tremendously powerful engine. So it went woomph. <laughs> and then uh, luckily the leading, the, the, the strings that were holding it just held. But it was a very shaky do. And you see the thing is, is what Al actually set up in this thing. He picked people uh, uh, somewhere out of the back of his thick old head. <laughs> he picked people. He reckoned no great harm would come. Now, these are the sort of things that actually Al does intuitively. I don't think he actually really, in a sense, think, thinks these things out in, 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 as concepts. He feels around and uh, muddles about, and then he does something this way. You see, Al, though, one of the very interesting things is that for about uh, four or five years, I was very unwilling to take LSD, well, first take LSD to get them, weren't you? This is very deeply interesting. Now, uh, and this was times very annoying to me because I wanted to, to press on with this thing. But as far as I can make out, he was digesting uh, uh, certain things that, that, that he didn't like. What were they, Al? 
You mean, well, one of the things is you're a secret man and you you really don't like the idea that someone might gain access. Well, no, I think, think, Dr. Uh, Humphrey, I think that the... I think that my emotions probably control me a great deal more mm-hmm. than they do most people. In mm-hmm. other words, I, if I, uh, well, while I probably negate the feeling part of it, mm-hmm. but on nevertheless, mm-hmm. I'm operated by these emotions. Now, I found yesterday with great ease that if you'd have asked me prior to yesterday, uh, why did you behave as you did with Dr. Hoffer, mm-hmm. when he was obviously your good friend, uh, I would have said, well, I had a few drinks with <laughs> Duncan. Mm-hmm. I was told to not tell him yes. more than what I did tell him. <clears throat> and when he seemed unable to accept that, mm-hmm. why, I then thought that this proved what I'd been said, that he really was only a selfish person, and mm-hmm. that only himself, mm-hmm. and that he was rapidly slipping down the mm-hmm. political scale anyway. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, wasn't uh, wasn't really getting so far, and I would have had a whole bunch of rationalizations mm-hmm. on the thing. As a matter of fact, uh, I found yesterday under examination the amount of alcohol I had. Uh, since Byron knew how much I'd had to drink, I, it I wouldn't say that it exceeded. Uh, it's somewhere two or three drinks, maybe four drinks. Yeah, but alcohol that. affects you very differently at different times, according to how you well, no, use it. I sometimes you get very yes. sloppy with only two or three drinks, and sometimes you're sharp as a tack after <laughs> half a dozen. <laughs> and this was one time when you were kind of sloppy. I was sloppy. looking for an excuse because I was still, I was still, uh, I didn't realize I was doing that. But emotionally, I felt uh, here is a person whom I have trusted wholly and who has trusted me wholly, and yet, once more, out goes a letter criticizing a system that I had of raising of raising money, which he himself, with Mrs. Garrett, certainly instituted, uh, when Blewett and I was present one time. Mm-hmm. Yet here he is saying, well, I wouldn't touch any money from anyone mm-hmm. for uh, a certain length of, for at least a month. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that this has not been appeared to, so... Uh, I felt uh, actually uh, aggravated by this, and I used the alcohol, and I used the the, the uh, fact that I had been told that he would probably be quite insensitive to the suggestion, so that I made everything possible for him to be insensitive mm-hmm. to what he should have. Mm-hmm. If I'd have used another method, such as Myron would have used or you would have used, uh, he probably might not have acted that way at all. Mm-hmm. But since uh, since he is acting compounded, my feelings, mm-hmm. why, uh, I only acted the worst. Mm-hmm. Well, I was not aware that this mm-hmm. is my motivation until yesterday. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a hard thing to believe, uh, that, you will, that you will act in this manner. Well, uh, now, uh, towards, uh, towards you, as I said yesterday, Rita said long after, Mm-hmm. I was reluctant. I said, well, let's take this and let's take that. It wasn't concealing anything from you because mm-hmm. I had nothing to conceal from you, but that I felt annoyed at the fact that uh, many things as we'd shared together, mm-hmm. that you could write this stupid mm-hmm. old mm-hmm. Uh, idiot down here with mm-hmm. no real qualifications of any kind, mm-hmm. uh, except this, this silly paper that he had, mm-hmm. uh, uh, anything at all without asking me about it. Well, I could tell myself I'd forgotten it. 
I knew I was mm -hmm. not angry with mm -hmm. you because I couldn't be angry with mm -hmm. you. But underneath, I must have been put out mm -hmm. over the situation. So being put out, I didn't want to spoil our relationship mm -hmm. by having an LSD session mm -hmm. and allowing these emotions to come to the top and you to see them because I was trying to forget them. But no, but would, would, that would have been all for the better. But I didn't see it that way. Yes, but I mean, in fact, but in fact, it would have been all for the better because we would then have been able to have gone into this question as to, uh, uh, the first was that we both communicated badly on this. And the other thing is that what I let, see, as you would see, as I saw, I saw, here's Olaf, he's blundering about in this jungle among these fellows. Uh, if I don't move quickly, they'll fix him, uh, which is the least likely thing for them to do harm. And the least likely thing was to suggest, as I saw it, and I may be quite, that this was an innocent error by someone who was not knowledgeable about academic ways, that, uh, uh, that, that uh, and that this was a thing who had done great good to uh, the cause, and they'd be very well advised to take the good and to allow the error, and as I pointed out in the letter, that this, to my knowledge, was perfectly legal, so in actual fact, uh, the error was of a, of, a, of a special kind inside a university, that, that outside the university, they'd have to swallow it, whether they liked it or not. And there's nothing they could do about it. The danger, of course, of this position is the very fact that they can't do anything about it would make them more annoyed. And the way, the only way around this, as I saw it, and it obviously didn't work, but the only way around it was to rather draw the arrow to some extent, at any rate, by saying, well, of course, I don't uh, believe that this uh, uh, is uh, genuine in your terms, but I think this is a genuine person. Now, unfortunately, of course, this doesn't necessarily communicate that, and nor does a person necessarily use this well. But again, when you're, as it were, shooting from the hip, and you, th you don't know how long there is, and I thought this was quite urgent, I thought I'd better move quick. I, I have long since, Dr. Humphrey, understood this completely. Mm -hmm. But at that time, I didn't realize what a treacherous system existed within these within these communities that mm -hmm. certainly render a great deal of good to, to mankind mm -hmm. in general. Without education, we wouldn't have anything. And I, it was impossible at that time for me to differentiate between men like uh, Dr. Harmon mm -hmm. and Dr. Blewett mm -hmm. and other people who I'd met that were all right. Mm -hmm. And I used the old comparison of the puppy that played in the backyard with garter snakes. Mm -hmm. One day he picked up a rattlesnake. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it wasn't a snake. was not always snake. Mm -hmm. And this is not the same kind of a snake. Well, all that I did was uh, to uh, misunderstand the thing. Mm -hmm. And it was a misunderstanding. And it was an honest misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. And your understanding was an honest misunderstanding. But that didn't take away from the fact oh, yeah. that, uh, that I felt this way. And when Rita said... Uh, you, uh, Humphrey's long since forgotten it, but you have not forgotten mm -hmm. it because I've known you mm -hmm. for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so I, <laughs> I, I, I waited until I could finally process yes. Yes. and digest it in, That's in, right. in its true meaning. Then when I did, but, uh, it all passed away. Mm -hmm. But until you do grok it, Myron, it never passes away. No, but Humphrey's raised a very good point, Al, and, and it's, it's a, it's a ther therapeutic fact that when you most need help is when you least want it. Mm. And when you're hurting is when you like to go off by yourself and straighten these things out. And this is really a measure of the bond of trust that exists in the group. And if there is real trust, 
then when you're hurting, or at odds, or disgusted, or whatever, that's the time you come to the group <coughs> and really confront these things and iron them out. And if we have a real bond of trust mm. and acceptance, it will do, as Humphrey says, it will resolve itself quickly. Whereas by yourself, you can carry these things for a long time, and it's true, you will iron it out. You will, and I will, because I'm very much like this. Mm. I like... You know, rather, uh, very often my solution is to go for a walk in the hills and mm -hmm. think about these things. And I usually get the thing pretty well factored out. But it might be a hell of a lot quicker to go right to the person involved. Well, it is quicker and better. And I've learned this, too. If you can go right to the person involved and straighten the thing out. Well, of course, again, I would remind Myron of, uh, of Dr. What Humphrey, Dr. Humphrey said, we are not all alike. Mm -hmm. Your condition, Pavlovian-wise, is altogether different than mine. You've always had someone to turn to. Mm -hmm. Humphrey's always, he was raised where he had someone to turn mm -hmm. to. Now, this is not an apology for mm -hmm. anything, because I have no, nothing to apologize for. No, but the, I the problem is not to... Uh, <laughs> because I was dissatisfied with the situation. I never turned to home mm -hmm. for, for any solution of any mm -hmm. problem. Uh... Since I'm quite conscious, if you turn to God as it's constituted by the religious mm -hmm. structures for assistance, you may be, as old Gerald says, quote him of some of the things you do find that he says, mm -hmm. right? You may be talking to yourself, you may be talking to the devil, and you might be talking to God. Being able to, not being able to differentiate there, you can't turn there for help very, that is, I can't very well. Now, uh, same as I told Charlie sitting here. He was a, he was a great psychiatrist. He was a wise man. I only met Charlie twice since I've known him. Uh, he did little kindnesses that I really felt. Otherwise, why well, yeah, I felt that he was uh, far, far away. Well, now, when you take a person like this and you... Uh, they know they have certain friends. They know they can do certain things. And this is the production of... of a degree of uncomfortableness that the person who's caused you trouble can only abide with so long because you keep increasing the pressure until mm -hmm. they can't stand it any longer. Then it becomes very hard to differentiate, and you must remember when you start turning these songs, these things on, because you have nothing else. This is the only mm -hmm. training you have. <laughs> a cat that walks through the jungle, you mustn't expect it to bite you and apologize. To you. <laughs> this is all it knows. And this is the life that I've seen. Uh, live or die, be intelligent enough to get along, uh, don't walk into places without knowing where you're going. Mm -hmm. Now, when you startle a person like this, uh, it's not much different than stepping on a guy guy's tail. He may bite you. He may not intend to bite you. He may not feel like biting mm -hmm. you. But he may just bite you instinctively. Now, once you realize that a person operates like this, isn't it you have to be careful? It says that uh, sometimes I like to come to all of you and say, gosh, I heard like hell from end to end, but I won't do it and uh, because I've never had any place to turn. I take I, action instead. Al, but the virtue, you see, in this, of, of your... <laughs> this is of, sometimes not good. No, no, but the virtue to a group of people, in doing it's not in this, you're extremely skillful in this type of action, but it enlarges the, each of their experiences. They become aware of uh, 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 
a world which is shaped in different terms, with different rules from their own, and they become able to understand the validity of this world. Now, the other thing is that you become aware of the fact that on this here and now plane, other people's worlds will overlap with yours in some directions, which you may not expect, but may differ from yours and others. And to take these things uh, with your world and readers differs in certain very important respects, which are not at all beyond your capacity to find out, not very quickly either. I mean, not, not very slowly you could find this out. You're not, in fact, going to find this out in the stratosphere. You're going to find it out here, because when you're up in the stratosphere, appearing down, everything down here looks much the same from, from a hundred... Well, I, I don't think that's right, Humphrey. In a way what you're saying is true <laughs> but, uh, friends, I was thinking about this just uh, <laughs> comparing yesterday with some previous experiences. Now, when you're up in the stratosphere you know as, as you can, uh, uh, we were talking about, you can become a rock and a tree. Well, I can't say I'm very proficient at this. It's mm -hmm. happened on mm -hmm. very, very rare occasions. Mm -hmm. And yet you can also become another person and see his world. And a lot of this is is extraordinarily sharp and clear. And uh, in some ways, I, I think that there have been experiences on the desert mm -hmm. when I've done this far more effectively mm -hmm. and deeply than I was able to do yesterday. Mm -hmm. But you've got to make jolly well sure that you do become their world and you have ways of actually knowing it because then you may be a hell of a lot worse off. You may have actually picked their world but three. In other words, you may have got three, three uh, 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 whatever incarnation means or somethings beforehand. Therefore, all you may, as Al was saying yesterday, was going through the records when I deliberately slipped this thing uh, uh, a generation a or two. I've got to put that down as a dirty trick. One That's very true, and that's why after these experiences, you have to come back and deal no, with the, the situation. No, but, but this is bloody important, you see. Immediately the Al goes through on uh, the current records. He says it's inconceivable to, to him that I uh, uh, might want to ship for the various purposes he thought about. But however, this also makes it absolutely impervious for him in a way to understand that we can both discuss matters which he may or may not do at times in a perfectly straightforward way, and that I actually know what he's talking about. You see, Al feels with, with a sort of academic personality, if I say, well, how interesting it is when I say, read a spy story and you learn about it. I'm not saying that, Al. What I'm saying is you learn the coordinates of a system into which you can pour the feeling that uh, occurs in any administration, and then all you then put into the system is this, this system is not producing bicycles, it's producing uh, uh, um, information from another country. Now this to me is a relatively simple thing. I can't get this down on paper necessarily. If I wanted to get down paper, I'd write a novel about it. I don't write like novel writing very much, so, but... <clears throat> or write a play. But the important thing is this to me is a system of coordinates of feeling which you would run together and into this only certain people could feel fit, you see. Now when, uh, uh, as until Al knows that I am discussing his world in a different language from an off-center point of view from him, not from a point of view that would be, would be perfectly uh, understandable, uh, 
suppose that I was uh, uh, running a secret service. It would be perfectly possible to do this. But I would not <coughs> concern myself at all with the techniques of how one removed undesirable people. This, there would be specialists to do this. And I would clearly, on in those circumstances, I would find this very distasteful because I would not be able, nor would I, concern myself with the, uh, w- with the misery and misfortune that the necessary actions would produce any more than I would concern myself at the moment with the misery and misfortune which the 10-year delay in our work brought about through our struggle with NIH in Washington and through uh, being unable to cope with a large and powerful power system there has produced. It's resulted in probably uh, uh, several million people being quite unnecessarily damaged. But if you were a more sensitive person, you would say, my God, all these people killed and go mad. You would say, you would write letters to the press or put up uh, posters or have a crusade done. But the actual fact is none of these things will work. It would defeat the end. It would... uh, uh, the history of medicine is such, and we know perfectly well that uh, people have tried this. Semmelweis uh, devoted uh, uh, the end of his life, many years, to, to upbraiding the medical profession for murdering mothers, which they were doing. It had no effect, whatever. Therefore, knowing that those moves are, are shut, knowing that Fleming spent ten, ten years writing excellent papers and publishing them, you know what has to be done. You have to get the relevant hard data, which has to be scraped up with every cent you can get hold of, often in the face of a, an extremely sceptical public. Or not public, actually, or rather well dispersed, but extremely sceptical scientific public who... Naturally, every year that the, this particular enterprise survives are more irritated, and the more data comes out, are more irritated too, because people don't like swallowing their words. The idea that scientists are immensely open-minded and take a, and take a, 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 a you know a rejoice to think that our view have been refuted is only held by those who don't know scientists. The actual fact is, as Max Planck said when he was conducted, when he was congratulated, he said, someone said to him, to think, Dr. Planck, that you have convinced the scientific world of your views. And he said, oh, he said, I think that I have survived those who disagreed with me. And didn't he also say that uh, for a new scientific idea to be born, that you wait until the present generation right. dies off and That's the new right. one comes along? So therefore, you, uh, you don't uh, uh, allow your feelings about the disastrous consequences of uh, 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 human behavior to interfere with your estimation of the situation. Now, I think certainly, I would think up to perhaps a year ago, I think that you felt this was so. Isn't it so? That, that they would be glad to receive us, yes. No, no, but no, no, no. But I mean, you thought that I would allow my feelings to interfere with my assessment of what actually was. No, I always thought you were exceedingly honest about that. The only thing, I mean, things like things like yesterday sometimes make me wonder what classification in this computer I should put. When you hide something from me and you're looking at it and you, and you plant it on the end of my, 
we're going to hide something from Al. Find it on the internet. Knows and he'll never find it. And, and run me to a point of distraction. And all the time you're looking at the thing you plant on the end of my nose. I don't know whether this is sadistic, amusing to you. It's good. Professional or what? Anyway, it convinced me. It's good for you. But I don't all. know where to put it. That's I can good. say this, watching Humphrey. I think he's having a hell of a lot of fun doing it. I think he's yes. enjoyed it. I think it's a sadistic <laughs> proposition. Because. Yeah, it's, it's sport with you. It would hurt someone else. You're quite tough enough to take rough games. But, but, but for someone else, it would be bloody brutal. You couldn't have convinced me any other way in the world because you put anything anywhere, planted anyplace, and I'll find it. That's right. But you had on the end of my nose. I probably go through my life. I've been accused of this myron pedigree that I know harm and slaughter. So, uh, uh, it was an excellent lesson. But you see, you can. But from now on, I'll always, approach the thing but 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 but, but you, you see you can't communicate with a person except in the specialized language which they use, and therefore uh, this is of course what the Zen people always writing about. The only thing is that their specialized language gets so ritualized and you spend a hell of a time learning it, and it's so ungeneralizable that 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 you don't get any distance with it. But uh, you've got to uh, do this, and in a group, you really have to know preferably in actually specific situations. You see, the thing about role-playing, the mistake about it is that you don't get the right quality of feeling, really. You get the right... Well, if you, you can, if you really get into it, can't you? you know, if you have the ability to really enter into the role, you... you, you no, you're by far the best role you can play. Because you're most used to it. And you do it best. And you can evoke in that the quality of feeling that is most absolutely appropriate for you. And uh, therefore, if you want to make a group who will explore best, the best role is you. <laughs> I mean, it's much nicer to think that one could uh, have some other roles. But you're not going to get the quality of communication. The quality of communication that I and Al can get depends immensely upon the fact that we know exactly how rough we can get with each other. <laughs> because this enlarges our knowledge. You see, the great danger in a group of this sort is that at its, mo at its most effective, everyone else would know how to do everyone else in. <laughs> the only thing is that everyone else has to, because allowing for the fact we are biological creatures with a long history of distrust, unless this occurs, there will be no group. The level of trust will not go up, and the actual level of performance won't go up. Now, for very limited things, you get very limited. You, you, you can certainly buy, you can produce trust in all kinds of ways. But, but for if you want to uh, do it in a greater way than can be done in any other way, you have to understand the specific risks that this involves. And the specific risks is that every person involved will be altered, whether they like it or not. And that the result of this will, in a sense, alter every other relationship they have, whether they like it or not. 
and that it will be filled with a series. Every uh, um, advance in understanding will be also uh, accompanied by certain kinds of disillusionment about the illusions that you have of the natures of relationships. And therefore you pay for this. And it's as well for people involved to know whether whether they want to pay or not. And because they're going to pay. You pay anyway. But uh, in, in this particular way, your uh, 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 the ante goes up <laughs> with every round. And that's how, that's how I see the score. Now the specific thing then is what techniques will do this most efficiently? What conditions are less likely to produce harm? How do you uh, uh, teach people what actually particular tricks are there for picking up when you're, you, you see what you actually want to go is to go to the the feeling limit that a person has that they will agree to genuinely uh, uh, employ in this situation that is, suppose you had uh, an uh, uh, extremely happy, unhappy childhood, suppose, so, and that this meant a great deal to you, and this had in fact changed your whole, your feeling and thinking about the world. And in a, a group of this kind, one doesn't want to produce such an explosion of feeling in you that this will set off reverberating in the other people. Pity or sorrow at your condition. Uh, um, disgust or hatred of whatever happened in this condition uh, um, a feeling of superiority over you because of this you, it has to be done in a way that each person involved in his own terms can see how it overlaps him how it doesn't and what moves they would have to make emotionally, perceptually to have got into this kind of position, and then finally how it would affect the relationship of the group now. So it's a complicated business, and it does have to be abstracted in so, so that uh, the drill can begin to be learned in the simplest of ways first. Now what happens, Humphrey, that let's say you have a group and one person has some traumatic... Uh, childhood thing that's pretty well shaped his personality. Suppose he has individually looked at this and dealt with it. Uh, how necessary is it to deal with this in the group? If he can accept this, uh, is it possible for, <coughs> for the group to move on and other explorations? Or is this uh, something that's got to be dealt with in the group? It is what is necessary is only in so far as this prevents the group from developing. I mean, in so far as, as Al points out, he is a man who has developed as a secret and individual man. It's a man who, uh, 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 in a sense, is both closed and open to experience. 
because fairy tale is extraordinarily open to experience in one way, but on the other hand, uh, 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 he uh, 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 is not, I think one would say, a man without a mask. He's a man <laughs> who wears a mask, which is a mask of Al. <laughs> so this is an, an extraordinarily skillful double take. But that's not good enough. In a, in a group, you have to know this, and you have to know how you do this, but you also know have to what this would mean to you if you did it, and how it would be done, and how it would change you. How, uh, and not just how it would be if you felt somewhat like Al. It's, this, again, is not nearly enough, because this doesn't allow you, this allows you to make an expedition to Al, but it doesn't see what this means in terms of you, and you will only take back, really, what is really real to you. And as I was saying last night, and I think you said too, that if Charlene would something other, but why the hell should she? Until you know where she stands, and know you know, and she knows you know, all the ifing in the world won't get you anywhere. Now, when you know, and she knows you know, it probably won't matter. But in this thing, it's going to matter, because as you push up the level of experience, it'll get tougher on the whole, because it'll be also be more productive. It'll be harder to maintain uh, uh, the group effort. It'll, it'll require, uh, and it, it will require more, uh, more skill and more energy. And uh, the, uh, but the again, I think I may be wrong, but I think that the outcome of it will be a, uh, a greatly uh, increased capacity for people to deal with themselves, to deal with other people, and then to begin to devise means of, to some extent, shortcutting some of this in terms of the purposes. I mean, it's quite clear, for instance, you do not really wish a group of businessmen to be involved in each other in this way. It isn't particularly relevant to their affairs. You may very well need a group of uh, 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 cybernetic engineers, and according, I think it was I was telling me that in fact this is exactly what you do. You allow them to to beat hell out of the particular town they're in on the basis that if this is the only way you know, you will get them integrated this way. You have them really uh, because you say, well, uh, this gives them a common goal and purpose as a kind of group of buccaneers who are going going around, you know, taking other people's wives and beating the town up, but are maintained on the grounds that this is the best best way we know at the moment of keeping their skills going. Wasn't that what you... Yeah, I think that's that. But you see. I think I should point out to Humphrey, Humphrey after the discussion this morning that during, during my uh, several years of mm. work, when it was my work mm. as an agent of the government, mm. I had many occasions, not a few occasions, but many occasions where if I had wished to harm anyone... I had all the excuse necessary. Sure. Resisting, mm. resisting means to overcome resistance. And uh, I think I should say I've never harmed them. I've shot over people's heads mm. close enough to them, even through their, through 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 their clothes. But <laughs> never, yeah. have I ever heard them. Never have I inside ever had any desire. But should the need arise, mm. 
the capabilities aren't there without any. No, what I mean is I'm not. I mean, but I never, I've, I know. I've never, I've never indulged in this sort of thing. No, no, but what I, I mean. No, I have no feelings against no, it. No, Albert, your, uh, uh, your development, the, the complex of feeling and, in, uh, uh, and intelligence and action which you are, the world which in a sense you develop this kind of thing, or, or uh, whatever it means, this thing is a different world from my one. And it's a world in which this kind of action is not merely uh, 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 um, imaginable as it is with me. The fact that you uh, have not done these things is because you are a very skillful performer in this life and that, uh, because also you're a good man who persuades bad men that you will certainly kill them uh, in such a thing, in such, in such an affair and many bad men are sensible enough to see that they or very, very few men um, and particularly very few bad men court certain death now, the fact, all we're saying now, <laughs> if you don't mind my saying, is you're a killer who understands the rules of the game and therefore doesn't have to kill very often, like an, abs- like an absolutely first-rate game warden, a hunter, who uh, doesn't, in fact, go around slaughtering all the animals for fun. He merely uh, uh, shoots animals if they charge at him wild, if they have rabies, or if, uh, um, uh, or, or if they're in pain. But he is a quite different person, in a sense, from the, uh, 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 we'll say, the conventional animal lover. Though he may have a much deeper understanding of such animals. And so, uh, uh, he, he, I mean, the great value of Al's world is that he can make it open to us. If we... Uh, urge him strongly enough and that we can make our worlds open to him. But I think it's very important to understand that in this sort of world, once the action is set, those who live in it do not uh, uh, see any occasion to draw back and nor do they see any special occasion to hesitate. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. I mean, they're not like, you see, Macbeth. That uh, was really not like Al at all. <laughs> I mean, Macbeth, had, you remember, had long uh, soliloquies as to whether he should or he shouldn't. <laughs> I mean, he was uh, he's much more like Hamlet in this way. But uh, that is not this kind of world. You're listening to the Psychedelic Salon, where people are changing their lives one thought at a time. Okay, uh, now I didn't say this in the beginning because I wanted you to hear it first, but to me this sounded like they recorded what I would call a trip report after they took LSD together the day before. Now, uh, there's a scene for a movie I'd like to see. Humphrey Osmond, Myron Stolaroff, Willis Harmon, and Al Hubbard all doing acid together. In fact, uh, I'd not only like to see a serious version of that scene, uh, I'd I'd also like to write a Saturday Night Live version. (laughs) And uh, for our non-U.S. slotners, that simply means a humorous version. Uh, I think that a lot of creative work could be done with a scene like that, uh, sort of a psychedelic version of My Dinner with Andre. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I found it extremely fascinating to hear them uh, talking about Tim Leary and Ram Dass as they saw them during the time that uh, Leary and team were making waves in the history pond. But at the time of this conversation, uh, the acid tests and hippies hadn't even arrived on the scene yet. In fact, uh, that whole psychedelic scene was just coming down the birth canal, uh, getting ready to bring a new spirit into the land. But uh, it did sound to me as if uh, Myron and Dr. Osmond were already sensing that everything was about to change in their world of professional psychedelic research. As we uh, listen to their conversation just now, I'm sure that you also picked up on the fact that uh, this recording was done at Myron's Research Center in Menlo Park, California, which uh, was named the International Foundation for Advanced Study. And uh, for what it's worth, uh, one day Myron and I were talking about his Menlo Park days, and uh, he came out with a great big laugh and said something to the effect that, uh, in hindsight, he thought the name they picked was really rather presumptuous, but uh, he still liked it. Well, I could go on for hours about some of the things that were discussed just now, but uh, I think a better use of my time will be to prepare the program notes and uh, start on part two of this recording. Yep, that's right. There's uh, still about 30 minutes more of the recording that I haven't yet listened to, uh, but my guess is that it'll probably be in next week's podcast. Now, before I go, I'd like to tell you a little bit about the uh, circuitous trail that this recording took to uh, make it to your ears just now. As we know, uh, the recording was made on November 1st, 1964. After that, its path uh, is really unknown until a little over a year ago. Uh, And what happened was that over the years, as I spent a lot of time with Myron and Jean, I heard many of their stories. And uh, one of them was the fact that sometime in the 1980s, uh, Myron's former administrative assistant at the Institute called and asked if he still wanted her to continue storing all of the files that they had. This was uh, right as the drug war goons were really pushing people around, and Myron had uh, become a little despondent about the psychedelic movement ever uh, gaining strength again. So he told her to go ahead and destroy him, and uh, that's where we left it for several years. Now, Myron had also told me that when he thought that the DEA might be after anyone and everyone, he hid all of his uh, original research reports that provided the basis for a lot of the uh, writing that uh, you've seen coming out from Ann and Sasha. So another few years passed, and uh, poor Myron had by then slipped into the world of dementia when I uh, stopped by for a few days to see him and Jean. Well, Jean and I got talking about those files, and uh, so she went and recovered them. And uh, the next several days and nights, the two of us spent having a great time pouring through some amazing, amazing records. And there was one other thing that I had uh, let pass all those years, and that was the fact that down in a dilapidated old storage shed on their property was uh, what I suspected was a gold mine of information. You see, the files that uh, Myron's assistant destroyed were the personal files of the 350 or so people who had had uh, sessions at the Institute. And uh, it was a valuable store of research information that uh, will now uh, tragically never be seen. But all of the other records from the Institute, some 20 cases of them in fact, were down in that little shed. And uh, so the day after recovering the box of research reports, Jean went down to the old shed and began bringing up files filled with uh, gems like handwritten letters to Myron from Albert Hoffman and uh, other psychedelic celebrities. Obviously, uh, we had found the mother load of Myron's papers, and uh, Jean asked me to help her find a way, first of all, to sort them out and uh, then to preserve them. 
Well, that was a project uh, way out of my capabilities, so when I got home, I called John Hanna and uh, told him what we'd found. John then uh, helped organize an expedition to recover and preserve those valuable records, and he somehow managed to get them all to the Arrowwood Center so they could uh, be sent out to be digitized and then uh, made public before the family places them in a university archive somewhere. And among all of those boxes were some reel-to-reel tapes, uh, one of which we just listened to. Now, if you've ever dealt with old audio tape, uh, just picture this. For about 30 years, in the summer, those tapes were in 100-plus degree heat. And in the winter, they spent much of their time frozen. So uh, the Arrowwood team had to hire a professional tape restorer just to uh, get them to digital. However, uh, the quality was still not very uh, listenable. So uh, that was when they enlisted the volunteer services of Jason Rizos, who I think has uh, really done a marvelous job of cleaning up the sound. So, John, Jason, and the entire Arrowwood team, on behalf of the psychedelic community, I want to thank you for what has been uh, uh, not an easy or inexpensive job, but uh, on that note, I should also probably add that the majority of the expenses for this uh, preservation work, both of the audio and paper documents, has uh, been borne primarily by Arrowwood.org. And so if you uh, have a little extra money that you could donate to the Stoleroff Collection at Arrowwood.org, Well, you'll be doing us all a great service. And uh, I'll put a link to that donation page uh, along with the program notes for this podcast. Well, that's going to do it for now. And uh, so I'll close today's podcast again by reminding you that this and most of the podcasts from the Psychedelic Salon are freely available for you to use in your own audio projects under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 license. And if you have any questions about that, uh, just click the Creative Commons link at the bottom of the Psychedelic Salon webpage, which you can find at psychedelicsalon.org. And uh, if you're interested in the philosophy behind the salon, well, uh, you can hear all about it in my novel, The Genesis Generation, which is available as an audiobook that you can download at genesisgeneration.us. And for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends.